This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. I don't even think that it's a word that I can describe on how I've been feeling for 25 years knowing that I've been incarcerated for something that I didn't do. I don't even, they don't even have a word in the dictionary. And I've been waking up like that since 1996. I think about it all day, every day. I'm 49 now. I'll be 50 December the 9th. On this week's episode, for nine months, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle from The Lens worked with journalists and producers with Fault Lines, a documentary television program from Al Jazeera. Together, they examined the case of Brandon Jackson, who was convicted to a life sentence by a non-unanimous jury for a robbery in the summer of 1996. The story in the documentary examined the racist past and ongoing impact of non-unanimous jury convictions in the state of Louisiana. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crassels here. Hey, Nick. Morning, Kayla. Also, Jeremy Young, a senior producer of Fault Lines from Al Jazeera. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So, you guys, how did the collaboration between The Lens and Fault Lines come about? I want to start there, please. Well, I'll go ahead and start by saying that I was really interested in trying to find nonprofit newsrooms who we could partner with and collaborate with. And when I first reached out and initiated a phone call with uh, The Lens, um, this story pitch came up and I had never heard of non-unanimous convictions before. And so to me, it was a real no-brainer for us to partner and work together on this. So Louisiana's split jury law hasn't been on the book since 2019. The Supreme Court found non-unanimous verdicts unconstitutional in 2020. Why are we still talking about this in 2021? So the reason is because there's still 1,500 people at least who are, who are still in prison on, on non-unanimous jury verdicts. As you said, the state banned the practice moving forward. This had been a law that had been, had been on the books for you know over a century. The state finally banned it. And then uh, the United States Supreme Court found it unconstitutional. But they only found it unconstitutional for uh, cases moving forward and cases where uh, a defendant had not exhausted their direct appeal, so had not gone through the, the kind of initial appeals process. So that left um, all these people who are, who are still in prison from the from the decades that this law was on the books um, without an immediate remedy, because the Supreme Court then sub- subsequently ruled that that their initial ruling was not retroactive. It did not force states and local jurisdictions to revisit these cases. Uh, so, so what we're looking at in, in this documentary specifically is, is the, the case of one individual who's, who's still in prison on a non-unanimous jury verdict. Brandon Jackson. So how did you find him, Nick? Had you read about, had you reported on him before? I believe that I had at least spoken to, to one, of, one of Brandon's loved ones um, during the state legislative hearings on uh, non-unanimous jury verdicts, and and at this point, I think Jeremy and I were still um, looking around for for someone to uh, profile for this documentary, and so I, I I believe that that he had been in some in some of my earlier reporting, but I hadn't taken a deep look into his case until until Jeremy and I uh, really sat down into that. The story and the doc go into great detail about that. 
about his particular case, but for those who haven't read nor seen the documentary yet, will you tell us his story? Sure. So Brandon Jackson was accused and later convicted of an armed robbery of an Applebee's restaurant in Bossier City. The robbery happened in 1996 and he was convicted in 1997. Uh, During the trial, we obtained the trial transcripts that actually no one had obtained yet. And we poured through them and learned a great deal about what happened at the trial. And there's a lot to go into there, but at the end of the day, 10 jurors voted guilty and two jurors voted not guilty. And that's what um, landed Brandon Jackson in prison with a non-unanimous conviction. And you found two jurors in the case, or you spoke to two jurors in the case. How were you able to locate them? It was actually really difficult to find the jurors in the case. We had the polling slips, so we knew what their names were. Uh, at least three of those jurors had passed away. Mm. Um, one of the jurors was going through cancer treatments, was unable to talk. Um, one juror, we repeatedly knocked on their door and were unable to initiate a conversation with them. Um, so it was just a matter of, of trying to track them down and, um, and, and, and see if they'd be willing to speak with us. Uh, one of the jurors who ended up talking to us uh, initially did not want to do an on-camera interview, didn't want to speak with us at all, but we were able to convince her to sit down and spend time with us and learn about why we were doing this story and why it was important to include her voice. And she ultimately agreed to speak with us on the condition of anonymity. Yeah, the documentary and the story both talk about her reluctance and and you, you sort of draw a parallel between her reluctance to talk and uh, really still a, a sort of troubling um, environment in which the world operates here in the state of Louisiana. She's, for example, nervous that if she comes out and and raises her hand and says to the world that she's the one that voted no, that that could have negative consequences for her at her work. One of the stories that she told us that's not part of our reporting is that um, she was in Benton uh, in Bossier Parish a long time ago when she was approached by a member of the Ku Klux Klan who gave her a recruitment card. And this incident was um, very impactful on her and and terrified her. And Bossier Parish is known as a very conservative district and uh, a very conservative part of the state. And so for her to speak up about what she went through and the racism that she had to endure as as a black juror in Bossier Parish was not easy for her to do. And so, um, you know, it, it was it was a challenging ask for her to agree to speak with us and explain what she had been through. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if if nothing else, I think I think one of the one of the things this documentary does is is shows how the racist history of this law really, really, it's still a live issue in a case almost 100 years after it was after it was passed. And even today, when you when you talk to the people involved, you know, not only were the two dissenting jurors black, one of the jurors, as you said, would only speak to us on the condition of uh, anonymity because because she was worried that basic that her bosses are racist and that they would would be they would disapprove of her her speaking out on this issue. Um, and you have you know we can talk about we we spoke to another juror, a white juror, and some of her comments I think you know really had some some racialized inflection and for you know I know viewers that we've spoken to have at least picked up on that and then 
you know, at the state legislature, you, you see sort of these also kind of pretty stark racial dynamics as well um, when, when looking at this issue. So, so I, I think that was, was sort of a, a through line in, in all of our reporting. Yeah, there's a, a striking moment in in the documentary. I want to play it and um, have everybody listen to it right now. We tracked down one of the jurors who voted to convict Brandon. There were just a multitude of things that made me believe that he was guilty of this crime. Did you have any doubts in your mind about his guilt? No, I did not. I remember um, Brandon Jackson coming into the jury into the courtroom and he was very um, sure of himself. He seemed to have a very, um, he smiled a lot. He seemed very relaxed. But I remember Brandon made a lot of eye contact with the jurors and he seemed to be pretty sure of himself. And like I said, I felt he was real, really overconfident. Um, so there was some things about his demeanor. So it was just something about his demeanor that it was like he was trying to win us over to his side with his smile, his, he made a lot of eye contact, I remember. Um, and um, so I think, I think that was, um, I remember that real strongly about him. Reflect on that for a minute. You know, one of the uh, interesting things was I wasn't even sure that I wanted to interview this woman for the documentary at first. And it ended up becoming one of the most impactful interviews that we did. And, and it's the one that most people um, mentioned to us. And, you know, I just think it was striking that um, she mentioned several times this issue of eye contact. It wasn't like she just said it once. Um, she said it multiple times and really stressed it as a driver for her decision making. And she remembered the, you know, the trial fairly well. And I think when we heard that, uh, we just knew it was something that we needed to include in our reporting. Why hadn't you wanted to talk to her in the first place? I just didn't think she would be the most interesting voice to include in the documentary. Um, I was very interested in talking with the juror who voted against convicting Brandon, but I just didn't, I wasn't animated to include this other woman's perspective in the piece. And I was wrong, and I'm glad that we did uh, track her down and interview her and include her, because obviously it ended up being very important. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel and Jeremy Young, a senior producer of Fault Lines from Al Jazeera. Together, Fault Lines and the Lens examined the case of Brandon Jackson, who was convicted to a life sentence by a non-unanimous jury. The story and the documentary examine the racist past and ongoing impact of non-unanimous jury convictions in the state of Louisiana. You can watch the full 25-minute documentary on YouTube by searching for Fault Lines and Jim Crow Convictions. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen, and I cover education here at The Lens. If you've been a longtime reader of The Lens, you probably know we are a place to learn about important issues, especially those underrepresented by other media sources. It's hard work, and it takes a dedicated staff who care about this community. Please make a tax-deductible contribution today to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org donate. Thank you. Nick, you talked about 1,500 people that are still in a position similar to Brandon Jackson's. 
right now in Louisiana? Um, what are their options? Well, there are a few ways. So as I said, the, the United States Supreme Court said that the states are not, are not required to revisit these cases, but they still can. Um, so so the, the ways that that can happen are, one, the state legislature could pass a law that, that requires uh, local DAs or some other mechanism for reviewing these cases and granting new trials to people who are in prison. There was a bill uh, last session where that, that would have done that, and it was voted down in, in a committee hearing. Um, be brought up again next, you know, next year or in subsequent uh, uh, legislative sessions. There are also a number of cases pending before the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court could rule um, that that the United States Supreme Court decision making making them unconstitutional should be applied retroactively, and that would grant relief for for these prisoners. I think that I think that we're expecting some movement on that in the next several months. Um, and then the, the third thing is that individual district attorneys can, uh, independently go review these cases. They have a ton of discretion. And so that's what we're seeing in, in New Orleans is, is, uh, the DA Jason Williams is, is going back and has said he will review all of these cases. Uh, initially he was initially he was going to grant new trials for all, all of these people. He's been a little slower to do that recently and has, has hedged a little bit on what that means, but still seems for the most part committed to doing that. But he's really the only DA that, that's committed to looking at all of these cases. And in Bossier Parish, where Brandon Jackson was convicted, the DA has said he will not do that. He will not look at cases just because they had a non-unanimous verdict. And he has he has said he's opposed to granting Brandon a new trial. Okay. Let me go back to the legislature for a minute. You note in the story that there are no uh, black Republicans in the state legislature. Was the, the, the committee, when, it, when this legislation didn't pass through committee, um, was that along party lines, color lines, or both? Uh, both. So all, all, it, was, it was along party lines. All the Republicans voted against it. All, all, all seven of them were white. Um, five Democrats voted for it. The majority of those Democrats were, were black. So, you know, there's another a striking part in the film is, is our interview with Ted James, I think. And he, he points this out, that there are no black Republicans. Uh, and he says, you know, if, if 80, so 80% of these 1,500 people still in prison are, are black. And he says, if 80% of them are white, this bill would have passed. Um, right. So that's certainly the... The perspective of, of lawmakers in in, uh, in some of the lawmakers in, in the legislature is that this is still a highly racialized issue, um, and and if things were different, if 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 the people in prison were not black, then they would be getting getting some relief. So beyond the fifteen hundred people, that's how many people we know who are currently in prison, right? But one of the things I find striking is that this law was in place, you know, since eighteen ninety eight. And we have no sense of how many people were incarcerated and impacted by, by non-unanimous convictions for the majority of that time period. I mean, it's just another uh, reason why I think the story is so important, because it's impacted so many more communities and families and people than we even know or, or could even figure out. 
So Supreme Court, state legislature, uh, local DAs, and then the road runs out? Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It's, you know, the judge can, can, can make his own decision. Judges have a lot of uh, power. And, um, you know, in Brandon's case, his next hearing is supposed to come up on October 21st. And the district attorney has opposed his uh, efforts to get a retrial. Uh, but the judge, I mean, this happened in Calcasieu Parish, where a judge issued from the bench uh, relief to someone who was on a non-unanimous conviction. And Calcasieu Parish is known as a fairly conservative uh, parish as well. So it is possible that judges can, can grant relief. It's just not very common. Do you ever worry, Jeremy, that shining this kind of light on a case like this can um, inadvertently harm the case of the Absolutely subject? Absolutely not. This person's been in prison. Brandon's been in prison for 25 years. And um, when we came to him and we told him what the white juror said about her decision to convict him, he was shocked. He was blown away and he couldn't, he couldn't recoup himself because he's been thinking about this trial every single day of his life for 25 years. And nobody ever spoke to any of the jurors in his trial. And this was totally new information to him. And so amplifying his voice and giving him an opportunity to speak truth to power um, is inherently a positive thing for someone like Brandon. And um, I, 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 I'm, I'm proud that he's out there um, speaking about this issue because he doesn't just speak about I'm Brandon Jackson and I need to get out. He says, I've met other people in prison who also have non-unanimous convictions and this is wrong and something needs to be done about it. We need to change the law. And so he speaks about it in a way that I think um, reflects uh, other people who are in the same condition, same situation that he is. Mm. Do you know, Nick, who the who is the judge that's going to hear the case? Yes, Judge Naren. Um, he is you know, a, a district court judge in, in Bossier Parish. And, you know, we had, I, I actually attended a hearing uh, that was very brief. It ended up, ended up getting delayed, but that back in July, um, we traveled with Brandon's mom, Miss Molly, to, to a hearing at the Bossier Parish Courthouse. So, you know, and I, I don't think it's entirely clear what the, what the judge is thinking on this. Some of the judges, some of the district judges have been, have been waiting for the state Supreme Court to rule on this and give a definitive answer on whether or not they think that that these people deserve new trials. Uh, the judge in Brandon's case does not seem to want to do that. He wants to make a ruling he's, he's indicated. Um, so we don't know what that ruling is going to be, but it is interesting that, that he's not interested in, in waiting to hear what the state Supreme Court says. Mm, okay. Jeremy, you speak really passionately about this case and Brandon in particular. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, anything else that stood out for you in, in meeting him and getting to know his, his family in his case? Yeah, Brandon's story is inherently tied to his relationship with his mom. And his mom, Molly Peoples, known uh, to everybody as Miss Molly in Northwest Louisiana, is um, an incredible character. And when we learned that her entire life is based around surviving another day so that she can eventually see her son walk free through those gates, we knew we knew we had to spend time with her. We knew we had to get to know her. And um, she's just an incredible personality. She's one of those people that like almost every story she tells you um, is just captivating. 
and um, she is, you know, really passionate about her son and, and, you know, really wants to basically stay alive long enough to see him walk free. She said that she just, her dream in life is to sit at her kitchen table and have a cup of coffee with her son. And it's such a, a banal activity and yet it's unreachable for her and Brandon and I. We thought that was um, really extraordinary. I'm guessing, Nick, you'll you'll continue to follow this story with the lens. Uh, you're talking offline here about um, a potential interview with a national news outlet. Jeremy, how do you continue to follow these stories? The documentary is complete and we broadcasted it, but we're certainly going to continue to follow with Brandon and, and follow with Miss Molly. And, and, you know, maybe this is the nature of a collaboration and a, and a partnership where um, Al Jazeera and The Lens are working together on this story. And I don't know whether it means there'll be another documentary or I'm not sure exactly what the output is going to be, but you can be sure that uh, Nick and myself are going to continue to follow the story and find out what happens with Brandon and Miss Molly. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. And thanks, Carolyn. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel and Jeremy Young, a senior producer of Fault Lines from Al Jazeera. Fault Lines and The Lens collaborated on a story examining the racist past and ongoing impact of non-unanimous jury convictions in the state of Louisiana. The full documentary can be watched on YouTube by searching Fault Lines and Jim Crow Convictions. Thanks for listening.